Good evening. I'm Axis. I'm Moner. And you're listening to The Late Night, a horror podcast. Welcome back, listeners. And... Wait. Axis, can you hear that? What? Oh, you know, I can hear that. What is that? Those are the distant screams of Hans Gruber plummeting from Nakatomi Tower. That means Christmas time is upon us once more. (laughs) And would you look at that? It's already been a year. We're drawing to the end of 2020 and our first year as a podcast. Man, oh man, did things not go according to plan. (laughs) Yeah, if only we had any idea what was in store, we probably would have run for the hills. Uh Uh-huh. I would like to say, you know, big shout out to Andrea Subasati over at Rumorg who told me that uh, most podcasts don't make it a year. Andrea, you definitely weren't fucking around when you said that. Yeah, it's, it's been an endurance test. Like, I do think about the poor souls who are like, yeah, we'll release a weekly podcast. Like, we aimed low from the beginning, and thank goodness we did. Yeah, yeah, we, we hit our mark. <laughs> we just managed to hit our mark. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, in the uh, non-traditional spirit of this non-traditional season, I don't think we can really say tis the season to be jolly. Uh, we're watching Jalmari Helander's Rare Exports from 2010, starring Oni Tomila, Jorma Tomila, and Tommy Corpella. And we'll be following that with Joe Dante's Gremlins from 1984, starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, and Kaya Luke. We'll be back after the tone. Stay tuned. So, Rare Exports. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so curious about what the intended demographic for this movie was. Like, I was thinking about it afterwards. It's an R-rated movie, so it probably wasn't made with kids in mind, but it's so unusual to have a child play the hero with such clear childlike delight in a movie made for adult audiences. Like, to be clear, I'm not complaining. I definitely think it worked. I'm just impressed that they managed to successfully get this past the pitching stage. I guess the short films were a really effective proof of concept. I mean, first is profitability. It had a box office to budget of 1.8 to 4 million, which was not bad. The yeah. thing that's crazy about it to me is that it kind of... Rem- the, the reason why I think it works is it kind of reminds me of, of Ghostbusters and our next film, Gremlins, mm-hmm. where we have content that's definitely not intended for families being quasi pitched <laughs> as a family film right yeah. so it's not yeah that's it's true a, the horror comedy is kind of a tricky thing to balance out and this is just one more example of that so mm-hmm. yeah i mean personally i think that the title should have been dangle all the way but, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah i guess i'll I was... mention that to to, to only the next time i see him yeah, yeah. it was really funny because afterwards i when I was kind of having that that moment, I, I went back to check the rating and I was like surprised for a minute that it was R-rated because I was like, well, I guess it was dark, but I didn't think it would be R-rated. And then I just remembered all of the dangling old man dick that was in the movie. And I was like, oh, right. That's why. That's why this is what sets it apart from Gremlins. <laughs> I mean, after that, after you see all of that, it's just like, man, I don't want to go back in a sauna for a while. It's just, <laughs> it's like, man, that's just depressing. Yeah, you so. suddenly gain a new appreciation for a fig leaf. <laughs> it was weird because, <clears throat> you know, I love Family Guy. Well, I kind of love Family Guy. <laughs> and I love the, yeah, <laughs> there's some jokes they tell that are even too over the line for me. And that's really saying something. Yes. 
but there's um there's a moment where where Stewie and Brian go up to the North Pole and they see the elves and they look like they've been exposed to fallout radiation with their limbs falling off and they've mutated horribly and I'm thinking you know those elves would have actually been preferable to the this other cast and I'm thinking <laughs> wow I I can't believe we're there but I mean mm-hmm. ha- I also thought about it like in hindsight how else were you really going to be able to do elves? Because yeah. I really dug that they kept with the the fairy elf tradition with the kind with the idea of having a fetch and the idea. And for those of you who don't know what a fetch is, a fetch is when a fairy or an elf takes a human baby and and replaces it with a straw likeness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll be a straw. It'll turn into a strong straw likeness, and it'll appear to be a child, or it'll appear to be a copy of the child. Um, and there's many great horror movies um, that that do that. Um, yeah, and I did think that was one of truly the more horrifying parts of this. Yeah, it was one. creepy. Like when they pulled that straw doll out, I was like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, and uh, I, I did like how their uh, their old man casting. I I did enjoy the little ruse of like the oh well that's not Santa like the the Santa fake out for a long time that was fun. Yeah. So I like I I get it. I think it was a fun choice that clearly mapped out well for the movie. Once again, I know I said in the watch long, but I would have loved to be on a fl- like a fly on the wall for that casting call. Mm-hmm. But aside from Agreed. that, <laughs> good choices. No. The way that I first became aware of this movie was through the Krampus issue of Rumorg magazine back in 2010. And I'll, I'll put a link to that in the comments below. Um, there's a lot of in- interesting stuff to think of when we talk about Christmas. You know, the first concept to tackle, just to make it all make sense, is the concept of what's called syncretism, which is when one culture conquers another culture, it kind of integrates in part of the old cultures that there's a cleaner, you know, transition, uh, especially, you know, if, you're, if you've slaughtered and killed the old cultures, you know, mm-hmm. former inhabitants, um, and you haven't quite killed all of them yet. Um so it, much like Halloween, Christmas is something where it's mutated over the years. And most people don't like to have that discussion. Um, but that's what Christmas is. Christmas is not originally a Christian holiday. It was Certainly simply not. mapped. Yeah, it's not the day that Jesus was born. You no. know, or at least we don't think so. I mean, if it is, it's a hell of a coincidence, you know. But that Yeah, whole... I mean, as far as I can tell, all of the holidays that are now celebrated as Christian holidays, like, very few of them are fun. Like, all of the ones that are, are like truly christian holidays are like here's a day for a saint and right. <laughs> it's not like it's christmas <laughs> some of those saints are made up too yeah saint bridget, exactly saint bridget is uh completely made up um some of them are actually scary like falpurgis noct is named after saint falperga who is the patron saint of rabies for those of you who don't know <laughs> um <clears throat> no, yeah I, I'm, I like, I'm not ask, i shit you not <laughs> if you're the patron saint for rabies are you the patron saint for rabies or against rabies? Because that's never really a lot. explained, right? <laughs> I bless you with lycanthropy. You're pleased to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. All you know? of my disciples foam at the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> so, 
Yeah, when we're talking about Santa, though, and their take on Santa, what their take on Santa is looks a lot more like Krampus than it does like Santa. Yeah, I have a hell of a lot of notes here. (laughs) Like, if if we're diving in, then woohoo! So I'll... When we're talking about Santa, essentially we're talking about two people. We're talking about a saint called Nicholas of Myra, who is buried in uh, what used to be Greece, but it's now Turkey, um, and on the coast of Turkey. And we're talking about Odin. And people are like, Odin? Yeah, Odin. The, you know, Odin is actually uh, a big influence on Santa's appearance. And yeah. Odin is a big influence on who Santa is. And the reason for that is that here in Germany, uh, we, cel- uh, we celebrate a day called uh, Nikolaus. Now you might go, well, if it's called Nicholas, what about Christmas? Well, well technically we're lucky we have two Christmases. Let's go back in time for a second and when it was Odin's day, because that's what December the 5th originally was. Before the day of Odin, the, the night of December 5th, the children would polish their boots and, you know, put them out, you know, out in front of their rooms and they would put carrots in their boots. Why? Okay. Because Odin rode an eight-legged horse named Sleipnir. And yeah, those eight legs became eight tiny reindeer. And what Odin would do is he would arrive with Sleipnir on the roof. He would come in and he would replace the carrots with small toys for the children. That tradition changed over the years. Uh, the carrots became chocolate Santas. We sell, you know, big chocolate Santas and varying girths and 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 uh, and thicknesses and uh, lengths. It's actually. <laughs> quite amazing you can beat someone to death with the right size santa it's actually a valid bludgeoning weapon if you ever want to do christmas themed clue in in a german sense Uh, that's a hugo stiglitz weapon if i've ever seen one um yeah um yeah and the day before that came to be known as krampus and krampus was supposed to be santa's well I would say partner, not really servant, even though he would be chained. He he was traditionally uh, what you would normally expect out of a demon. He had large, you know, he, was, he had goat legs, hoofed feet. Um, he was covered in black fur. Mm-hmm. He had a big he had a big basket on his back, and and he carried a switch with him. And if you were a good kid, on mm-hmm. on Krampus night. You know, Santa would come and he would give you your presents. And if you're a bad kid on Krampus night, accounts vary. Punchline <laughs> is, you got the shit beaten out of you. It yeah. was actually ass whipping night. So what ended up happening is, this has been celebrated in the Germanic region and also in the Austrian region. And it's still celebrated in the Austrian region. The important thing to keep in mind that we don't really talk about is that Krampus's form has changed over time. In Germany, he's no longer known as Krampus. You ask a German where a Krampus is, they're going to look at you like you have two heads. You're like, the fuck is a Krampus? <laughs> they, they also don't know, half of them don't know Halloween traditions. They don't even think that Halloween comes from Germany. They'd be wrong, because that's where our witches and devils come from. Um, so, uh, what they call... Uh, Krampus in Germany is uh, Svarte Peter or, 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 or Black Peter. Mm-hmm. And the game Old Maid, it was also uh, a kind of model 
of of Black Peter. And it's actually, you know, just to hop back to Batman for a second, and uh, the jo- <laughs> they have one Joker card, which jo- Batman fans will probably be will recognize instantly, is a devil holding his stomach with a jester's cap and laughing, and he's got horns. To be honest, it doesn't look that far off of a Krampus. I wouldn't be surprised if that was, like, inspired by Krampus in some way, shape, or form. In Austria, uh, Krampus is still celebrated. That's on uh, the night of December 5th. And it's, uh, you know, in in Graz, they have a huge Krampus parade. Uh, You can YouTube it. It's it's quite amazing. Uh, It's basically like St. Patrick's Day and Halloween had a baby. And that is so terrifying. <laughs> that is insanely terrifying. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, essentially, boys in their 20s get dressed up in demon costumes. Uh, the furs of differing colors. And uh, what they do is they get super duper hammered. And then they chase women around the street. And they try to attack them with uh, with straw. Uh, oh, what fun! Right. I mean, if you're, if you're one of Just what I've only, always wanted. Right. Yeah, so this was a problematic holiday. <laughs> Krampus got more problematic as time went on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you go to Spain, Black Peter is still there, um, except he's no longer a demon. He's basically a black guy with an afro. And yeah. if you're a bad kid, he puts you in a, in a sack and he takes you off to Spain. To me, I'm like, man, free trip <laughs> to Ibiza. Spank me extra. You know? Like, but, oh yeah. no, Daddy, I've gotta go to Spain. Right. <laughs> but yeah. So Black Peter got a lot of racist connotations added yeah. to it. No kidding. And yeah. So it is it's something where it's kind of forgotten. It's 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 remembered for the right reasons in some places. It's remembered for the very very wrong racist reasons in others, mm-hmm. and so there is a you know obviously Krampus was not celebrated anymore in certain places because well that shit wasn't cool, um, and the and the world moved on. But it's very funny because in the horror community, uh, us horror fans, whenever somebody goes. <laughs> We want to return to a conservative Christian traditional Christmas. We go, can we bring Krampus back too? We'd really like that. Yeah. Do you want the big demon man to come? Is that what you wanted? Okay. (laughs) Yes, please. And so, you know, slowly but surely Krampus has been, you know, making a comeback in the United States and Canada. And uh, it's going to, you know, it's, it's definitely had a revival. You know, much yeah. like much like the Venetian Carnival, it's a beautiful thing. It, it was it was in, then it was banned, and then it was forgotten. Then it came back in once a bunch of art students went, "Hey, that'd be cool to do again." So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. What else? Um, yeah. So the I would like to say one other thing. Santa's look is always is always hotly debated. They're like, yeah, he was designed by the Coca-Cola company, and that's why he wears red. <clears throat> Bullshit. No. Uh, Nicholas of Mira's paintings, he's always wearing red vestments. He's not, he's not yeah, wearing... Yeah, no, that uh, is traditional in many, many aspects. Right. right. It's <laughs> no, like, popularized, perhaps, in mass media by Coca-Cola, which I'll talk right. about, but it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Santa should be missing the, an eye. That is not the root source. Yeah. But Santa should look way more badass. Santa should be Jack Diesel and like missing an eye, and that <laughs> shepherd staff should like shoot. Yeah, lightning I was bolts. just gonna. I was gonna say when you were talking about Odin, it's a fucking shame we don't have eye patch Santa. Like, come on. Yeah. 
And then I'm, we're not going to talk about the elephant in the room, which is what Rudolph is. We'll just move on. <sighs> so, well, Axis, what yeah. do you have to say? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the fins. <laughs> let's talk about the fins. So, while you talk about Krampus, I did more research into um, the uh, traditional Finnish version of Santa Claus, mm-hmm. who over there is good old Yolupuki. So, mm-hmm. the, re- the research that we see a little Pietari doing in the movie is into Yolupuki, who is a figure from Finnish folklore that is widely credited with helping to create the modern image and tradition of Santa Claus. I mean, clearly an amalgamation of a lot of figures, but if you ask Finns, it's all about Yolupuki. Yep. So... Yolupuki, the word literally translates to Yule goat and originates in some kind of goat-based pagan tradition. And details are spotty, as they frequently are when you research old folklore, but it seems that the concept may have been inspired by Thor, who drove a chariot pulled by goats. Um, Because of his ties to storms and fertility, the ghosts became associated with harvests, plenty, and eventually Yule. So... These early celebrations, which still continue today in some parts of Finland, had old men dress up as goats and call themselves Nutipuki. And then they go around the town knocking on doors and demanding leftovers from the Yule meal, which sounds like a rad gig. And I'm unsurprisingly very on board with any holiday that involves costumes and free food. Um, but it should be a post-Thanksgiving tradition. Yeah, we should invent a new one. Yes! Oh my god! And make sure it's not just old men so that I can get in on it. I'm yeah. very down. New traditions. <clears throat> <laughs> so, <laughs> so the uh, the Nutsipuki seem to be regarded as somewhere between mischievous and outright evil, depending on, you know, who and when you look. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're correlated with the role that Krampus holds in Central Europe. Um, Apparently, the goat-based parts of the Yule celebrations are still still observed in some Nordic countries. And I found this out through an absolutely incredible quote in an Ink Tank article by Kathleen Harris called How Yolupuki, the Finnish Santa, Went from Naughty to Nice. So in this article, right above a photo of a giant goat the size of a house that's sculpted out of hay is my favorite line, which reads, and I quote, Large statuesque goats made of wicker are sometimes erected in towns, such as the Gavle goat in Sweden, which infamously faces an annual battle against arson. (laughs) Nice! They got devils night in there too! Can you believe that shit? I know. And anyone who can say that they infamously face an annual battle against arson should go down in history. Like, fucking incredible. <laughs> what, a, what a noble goat. <laughs> so, Especially the, uh, considering what it's made of. Yeah, no, oh, absolutely. That sucker's going to go up in flames immediately. <laughs> it's hard to fireproof hay. <laughs> So, it's gonna uh, be a lot of bang and popping. No. <laughs> <laughs> die, Frosty, die, oh, die. God, yeah, Frosty can melt right next to the the burning goat. It'll be perfect. Right. It'll be a beautiful Christmas moment. <laughs> oh my God, that make a great movie. Somebody make that. <laughs> yeah, just give and us writers credits. Royalties, It'll be fine. You moochits. <laughs> yeah, we accept royalties. We accept royalties. <laughs> Um, so the, uh, the Nutsipuki's behavior seems to be inspired by the figure of Yolupuki himself, who was the original Yule Goatman. 
Yolupuki has a mixed history in which he was sometimes regarded as a hideous and terrifying monster, re Krampus, and on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes as a benevolent, invisible creature who helped to prepare for Yule festivities. So when Christianity began to take over the area, they did what Christians have historically done and said, no, we're not about this pagan shit, that's devil worship, but we do want you to like us, so we're going to retcon your traditions, and now Yolabuki is St. Nicholas. Enjoy! Um, so basically, yeah, the traditions of... Yeah, the traditions of Yolupuki and St. Nicholas got mishmashed together into a figure which very quickly came to resemble the guy we now know as Santa Claus, a friendly old man in a red suit who came to deliver presents to children. He's a were-Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so we talked about Coca-Cola and the red suit, so th- let's just say right off the bat, the red suit is traditional, it is Finnish, predates Coca-Cola, but let's talk a little bit about Coca-Cola, because in Rare Exports you may have noticed that they mentioned the Coca-Cola Santa a couple of times, and that is because of a guy named Haddon Sundblom. So mm-hmm. Haddon Sundblom was the Michigan-born son of Finnish, uh, sorry, of Finnish and Swedish immigrant parents. Um, he was a prolific artist of advertisements, pinups, calendar art, and more, beginning in the 1930s and continuing until his death in 1976. He created this huge catalog of Norman Rockwell-esque Americana art, but he tends to be best remembered for his work in advertising. In addition to creating the old dude on the Quaker Oats containers, Sundblom was also known for his work with Coca-Cola, where he created their mascot in the 40s and 50s, Sprite Boy, who I did not know existed, but is a terrifying little creature. (laughs) But most importantly for us, in 1931, he created their advertising images of the red-suited, jolly Santa Claus, which has become the contemporary American image of Santa. And Sunblum's art is still used in Coca-Cola Christmas campaigns to this day. And many people, especially those of a Finnish persuasion, believe that Sundblom's image of Santa Claus pulled from Finnish images of a friendly Yolupuki. And so that's where he pulled a lot of the visual imagery for his Santa Claus, and which then infused American mass media. So... Trying to track exactly what parts of Finnish stories inspired the American mass media versions of Santa Claus and which practices of today's Yolupuki are pulled from American Christmas movies quickly leads to a Venn diagram, which is just one big circle. Um, it's pretty hard to you know, yeah. go back and forth. But it's Seriously, the- safest bet is wear Krampus with lightning powers. It's like a <laughs> Pikachu on crack when it fucking... It's like if the kids don't... Like you just... Yeah, yeah it's, it's a beautiful holiday chimera. It'll be perfect. Right. And once you've <laughs> properly trained it, it'll be suitable for the for, for public viewing. Suitable for all occasions. <laughs> and I have to admit, that's the thing that I'm really disappointed about. The only little thing that I'm let down about is that <clears throat> the short is basically was made before the film. Mm-hmm. And I love how they condition... Yes. the Santa into becoming a mall Santa, essentially. Yes. Because that's where the, the story is that big time spoilers um once they catch a santa or chris kringle you know they or it, which is basically one of these elves um which can has the power the strength of a bear and can run unimaginable distances once they capture this nice looking old man they drag him back <clears throat> they shower him and then they proceed to condition him uh and that's the with nicest word with lots of corporal punishment with correct. lots of corporal punishment <laughs> 
until he's suitable to be to be a mall Santa. And then they stick him in a crate and they ship him, you know, the yeah. last the in the short they ship him to Zanzibar. So um, you know, the next time you're in Zanzibar, you're like, are you an elf? You know. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah. But be careful, because he'll snap your neck if you curse, smoke, or drink. Exactly. And we all love a mall Santa now, which is, you know, again, returning to the kind of contemporary version of Yolopuki. It's, you know, again, not far off. So it's basically, it's hard to tell who inspired what, but the end result of all of this is that Finland has a holly jolly Yolopuki, and as far as they're concerned, huge fucking bragging rights, and that they're the home of the real, original Santa Claus. So... The contemporary Yolupuki is a very familiar bearded man in a red suit who delivers presents to children across Finland. He's said to drive a sleigh, or a sled, much like a dog sled if you're in Lapland, um, pulled by non-flying reindeer. And the story of Rudolph definitely made it back to Finland because he's generally accepted as the head reindeer in charge. But uh, the, the Finns believe that Yolupuki makes his home in Korvatunturi, which is the mountain mountainous fell from rare exports that does indeed mark the border of Finland and Russia. Korvatunturi is known for its beautiful forests, uh, frozen lakes, thousands of reindeer, and being home to Yolupuki's secret toy workshop staffed by friendly gnomes, who from what I can gather are usually not represented as violent and naked old men. Right. In Germany, they're called the Mainzelmenschen. Of course. Oh. <laughs> no, please. Always throw, throw in some good German pronunciation for me. I love it. <laughs> they're oh. also little red-hatted gnomes, you know? <laughs> I know. I do like the gnome version of things. It's very Santa, cute. Yeah, Santa has... Yeah, no, it's a demon. It's a sweatshop, basically. <laughs> it's like, oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. think the gnomes fucking wake up and go, you want to know what I want to do today? Bake cookies. No. The guy from fucking Keebler stole them and stuck them in the tree. And then they killed some of the kids. And then they made them fucking bake cookies. Okay? You yeah, guys don't found, know what they're going through. What I found interesting specifically in the Finnish version is that in addition to making toys, the little gnomes there are said to also monitor weather conditions for uh, all of Santa's yeah. gift-giving runs. So I love the idea of them being like toy workers by day and passionate weathermen by night. <laughs> <laughs> like, check the radars. We have to see what's coming up. <laughs> Probably the only fuckers who get meteorology right 100% of the time, too. I mean, really. Yeah, it takes, it takes a little, you know, gnome magic. To quote Twin Peaks, if you got paid for being right 50% of the time you'd be working for a living for Christ's sake <laughs> yeah once again speaking of peaks Korvatunturi is also said to have a big old natural rock formation that looks like a huge ear up on the mountain and it's said that Yolupuki uses that ear to hear the wishes of children around the world which is technically very cute but I also feel really weird about the idea of talking to a child and being like now whisper your wish into Santa's huge fucking ears, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, mommy, there's hair in Santa's ears. It's grass and there's ectoplasm. <laughs> Yet another horror story. Yeah, we're just turning another them out horror for you story guys. theme. <laughs> Have fun, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so our good friend Yolupuki receives hundreds of thousands of letters from children every year. Interestingly, his top demographics are from China, Poland, and Italy. I don't know what about what it is about the Yolupuki tale that really translated well there, but they love it. There's and just the the press that you know um, that Finland gives him is incredible. They set up all sorts of Santa's villages. They are really invested in the Santa industry. 
Rare exports did not get that wrong. They may have, you know, nope. the method slightly different, but the industry yeah. is there. And it's amazing. One, yeah, oh, absolutely. And one more specific Yolopuki note, the fantastic images of the terrifying demonic Yolopuki that Pietari is looking at in the books in the movie, those are all original art done for the movie by artist uh, Lauri Ahunen. I'm really sorry for butchering your name, sir, um, who is from Helsinki. And I couldn't find any genuinely old images of a demonic Yolopuki. There doesn't seem to be a lot of old iconography that you can find. So do not take those, you know, as the genuine article, but they are a fantastic piece of art. Um, there are all sorts of great images of those you can find blown up online if you want to see them in all of their glorious, hideous detail. I'm a big fan of his work. <laughs> they go beautiful in some frames right next to some framed Japanese tanuki work. Oh, absolutely. They're all yeah. beautiful, one by one, side by side. Mm-hmm. It's amazing prints, and he has a whole body of work. He seems to do some like 3D animation kind of stuff now, like 3D modeling and animation. He's very cool. Um, definitely look up his artist profile. I'm a fan. <laughs> we'll, we'll link to it in the, in the yeah, description Yeah, Yeah, for below. sure. For sure. Yeah, so that's that's my my little uh, Yolopuki deep dive. Um, but I did have the last my last big thing that I was left kind of reflecting on after the movie was how much they underutilized the uh, the Santa rules. And I have to wonder if there's like an alternate universe version of rare exports where everyone followed the rules and they just had an immaculately polite town patrolled by elderly nudists. Um, I mean, probably that's not. Called, that's called the Netherlands. Uh, <laughs> the name of that island is Zealand, and it's called Epcot. Yeah. Which means free body culture. Um, so yeah, anytime you want, you know, you just hop on a plane, you go to the Netherlands, you get that. Hey, it's yeah, beautiful. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, pr- that's probably not how things would have gone in the movie, given the havoc that we can only assume would ensue once Demon Santa hatched out of his ice egg. But I'm amused by the idea that the cheerfully naive Santa rules could have worked, you know? <laughs> no, if they ran out of kibbling, they'd be pretty pissed. That's definitely a reason for concern. Like everybody should hop on their e-bikes and bike the fuck away as fast as they can. <laughs> Santa would be like Santa would be out for blood. Like yeah. <laughs> the Netherlands are like a haven in the land of fried food. Like if if we ran out of fried food, Jesus, I don't even want to think about what would happen. I'd be scared, man. Just Santa would just just tear ass all over the place. Absolutely. Yeah. I with the size of those horns, I can only imagine he's got some big old legs which would propel him fast and far. He's going to play a game of toss <laughs> and you're the ball. It's basically, it's not going to hey, be so cool. I mean, cool. that's the only way I'll ever be good at sports. So I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Since I know you're going to kill me, but could you aim for between the goalposts? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to get one touchdown before I die. <laughs> Come on, it's Christmas. <laughs> <sighs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. Rare exports. A fucking on. delight. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about a, another surprisingly dark movie. <laughs> yeah. Gremlins. And, uh, you yeah. Know, box office to budget of eleven million to two hundred and thirteen million. Obviously, the fact that it was directed by Joe Dante, the guy who directed Gary Bradner's The Howling back in nineteen eighty one, and was produced by Steven Spielberg, had something to do with it. Anybody who's uh, you know, if you look at Toby Hooper two years before. Um, he had directed uh, Poltergeist, and uh, anybody who's heard the stories of um, of Toby Hooper's time, you know, directing under the guidance of Steven Spielberg, 
knows that uh, it's a pretty it's those are those are big shoes to fill and um, <laughs> to, yeah. to it actually every time I hear the story it reminds me of a quote and a character from a very famous movie from a few years ago called Tropic Thunder. A big shout out to Tom Cruise yesterday for uh, calling out those people in his Les Grossman voice. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Les Grossman is is who who Spielberg reminds me of in that sentence where uh, he said, I think the quote is, he says to the director, from now on, my fist is going to be so far up your shithole that if you have a thought, it's going to have to tiptoe past my wedding ring to get through to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that is what I can imagine the experience of working with Steven Spielberg may be like. I don't know yeah. that for sure. I know I've, I've, there's certainly been a lot of ale- allegations and, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, it's the spirit of, you know, of uh, greetings and whatever. And I don't want to say anything wrong, but I can only imagine that that's, that's, probably a that's probably a big responsibility if steven spielberg yeah. is 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 watching over you yeah like, based on like the, uh, the collected Jaws. anecdotes that i saw doing the research i wouldn't be surprised like we talked in the watch along about how the original draft of the script was much darker and mm-hmm. steven spielberg kept coming in at every moment and it's like mm, what if the mom mm. didn't get decapitated i don't think also, it was what if yeah <laughs> What if, uh, what if Gizmo didn't turn into a gremlin and hung out the whole time and we had a cute fuzzy hero? Which obviously, like, Steven Spielberg knew that shit would work, and it did. But it, it did. definitely seems like Steven had a big ol' hand in tweaking that plot to make it a little more commercially mm-hmm. viable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, that's, uh, that's actually an interesting thing I've noticed over the years. The, the larger the power that's involved with the film the more fluctuations in the film you tend to mm-hmm. see. It's yes. not like there's just one script and then that's it. There's going to be so many rewrites. Yeah, and, a lot of um, iterations and a lot of stuff that gets cut. I mean, this one already like had a lot of cuts and there was more that they were trying to cut. Like the whole uh, super dark Phoebe Cates speech where she uh, talks mm-hmm. about her dad getting stuck in the chimney of Santa Claus hardly <laughs> made it into and the movie. And that's where da- da- like I'm trying to imagine Joe Dante though arguing this with Steven Spielberg. No, oh, okay, she he needs to find it. her dad dead in the chimney, <laughs> stinking, rotting. Okay, otherwise this film doesn't work, Steven. And mm-hmm. Steve, like mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't know what Steven was thinking. I don't know. I don't know if like Steve, that was maybe Steven's off day, or Steven was just like past the point of fuck it and was like, you know what, fuck you, you, you know what. You ruin your own movie. Fine. Do it that way. Because that moment, basically, it's, again, it's the moment that this film is no longer really a family film. Because any kid who hears that, Mm -hmm. who's, like, under the age of of 20, is going to (laughs) go, like, get the fuck out of here. I'm like 38. I'm still tearing up. I know. It's like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, no. (laughs) And that's why we hate Christmas. You know, like, Jesus. And then you're like, yeah, geez, I wonder why it's not a fucking family film. I mean, look. And, you know, it really was deceiving, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, big big props to Disney for taking Gizmo and recycling it into something that can be, you know, age-appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, they basically were just like, mm, you know, this looks like it's going to be huge and dark and terrifying, so let's stick a Furby in it and, uh, you know, ha- count on marketing to get us through. 
Yeah, and this is also another notable entry in the chronicles of guess who was almost in this movie. Um, The original candidates to play Billy were Judd Nelson and Emilio Estevez, but most (laughs) importantly... (laughs) Emilio Estevez! Emilio Estevez! Just imagine, just imagine it. You know, take a little moment. (laughs) But, uh, as, you know... (laughs) I wish you could see Moner's face right now. He's gleeful. I'm hearing the song. I'm hearing the song from Christine when when, when Arnie's dying. I'll forever love you. It's like it's just so sad. You're like, damn, man. Oh, yeah. damn. But uh, since we've been talking about directors, the most interesting bit to me was that it was almost, you know, I shouldn't say almost, I don't know how close it was, but one of the uh, people in early talks to be a director was the then pretty much unknown, mostly from animation, Tim Burton. And the idea of this being a Tim movie would have been off the fucking rails. No, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have gotten made. They'd have killed each other. Those egos? <laughs> like, can you imagine Tim Burton gets the script and is like, "Oh, you want dark? Okay." Right. <laughs> no, we start with the dead dad on Christmas. Okay, this is where we're going now. Yeah, can you imagine if instead of having the uh, the dumbass inventor dad monologue, where he's like, "I'm Randy Pelzer, I'm an inventor," it just starts on the slow pan in on the dad in the chimney. <laughs> Yeah, or it's like some sort of, they're not, they're like inventions that work, but they're positively fucking terrifying. And yeah, it just becomes, you know, it's like a smokeless ashtray that's like a fucking spider Mm -hmm. that crawls up into your face and inhales this fucking air. Precisely. Every invention would make Edward Scissorhands look like he, you know, is a friendly little, yeah, it's just friendly and uh, friendly neighborhood Scissorhand man. Meanwhile, Mr. Peltzer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I crave yeah, that I, version, but perhaps I, for the I best. Am, no, I'm too scared to watch that. <laughs> I would like to watch Steven. I would like to watch Steven Spielberg and Tim Burton have an argument over production. Yes. I would love to watch the YouTube clips of them cursing at one another if they lost their tempers on stage. Mm-hmm. I would pay money. I would pay serious money in a theater to sit and watch that. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, that would be pretty freaking incredible. Extra money to ha- watch Helen Moran come in and tell them both to get the- get over them fucking selves. Like triple that money. Okay, I pay like forty dollars for the ticket. Okay, mm-hmm. I pay IMAX money for regular right. theater to see to watch that. Yeah, I mean the movie is yeah. chaotic enough on its own. Like just to imagine the chaos it could have inspired: Emilio Estevez and Tim Burton vehicle Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, because like. And imagine how much worse the special effects would have been. Like, I mean, the, yeah, the the birth of Gremlins is is not exactly something anybody could ever call romantic. It's one of those. No. It, it, at best, it looks like a boil. It's a boil sized pimple that's slow motion popping, and you're mm-hmm. doing your best to control your gag reflex the first time yeah. you see it. And the way that they were doing all the special effects for this was kind of a rush job like the like the expanding fur balls were literally inflating balloons covered in fur which worked right. out fine but the entire crew for this was freaking the fuck out because they changed the script to include gizmo as an untransformed mogwai the whole time like whole way through relatively late in the process so all of the people who were in charge of running that little puppet thought they had to come up with maybe 10 minutes of it looking cute 
And instead, they had to come up with an entirely full-fledged, full-motion, I'm-ready-to-drive-a-Barbie-car puppet for the entire duration of the movie. And they were like, oh, shit, we didn't plan for this. So there was a lot of scrambling to make that sucker look good for a whole movie. I mean, that's the other thing, which is that this the one thing that always exists among horror fans is, what would... What would Gizmo look like if he ate after midnight by mistake? And now, thanks to the Mandalorian, <laughs> you know the answer. Essentially, mm-hmm. what the Mogwai really are, thank you, since Star Wars is set in a galaxy a long, long time ago, far, far away, we now know that essentially what a gremlin is, is a um, it's whatever Yoda's race is. Uh, they've had male pattern baldness. Uh, mm-hmm. Somewhere they got che- Chewbacca, Ewok, you know, genes to cure the, you know, the shame of the male pattern baldness. Of course. Of course, they, you know, they didn't stop. And um, and this is what happens. And Yeah, course- I mean, literally, according to the novel, the, uh, the whole problem with the transformation was genetic tinkering, which resulted in unstable DNA. So I buy it. I really buy it. Would love to be the guy in charge. Would love to be the guy in charge of these. This one can stay. Those other 99. Pat, this one person here. Her name's Cruella DeVille. She's very curious about their fur. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Honestly, it's a real shame that, uh, you know, our our resident Mrs. DeVille in the the Gremlins movie, that she was so focused on the the dog that she never saw the majesty of all of the fur coats of the Mogwai, because it could have been a very different movie. (laughs) <laughs> she'd have had a fur line and a leather line all set up you know oh my god yeah forget crocodile leather have some gremlin leather <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's what happens if gizmo eats after midnight he basically becomes yoda yeah i i look forward to it i you know i hope whenever gremlins 3 finally comes out because they won't stop talking about it that yeah. you know there'll be i'm sure there's got to be some nod to it <clears throat> No, it's not going to be a three. It's going to be a fucking reboot, probably. It's <laughs> they keep promising that it's Gremlins three, but who knows what to believe anymore? Oh, <laughs> uh. I don't know. I hope. I just hope that you know Gizmo does get to do some Rambo action and uh, you know mm-hmm. be more hardcore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look forward to watching that. You know, with all the all the advancements we've made in technology, I'd I'd really like to see Gizmo you know, really take it to the next level. Yeah. Like Ash. And yeah. Then, uh, Last I saw, they still were <clears throat> promising, in, like in the most recent releases that came out about the potential Gremlins 3, they were still promising that it's going to be um, mostly practical effects and they're not going to just suddenly CGI the, you know, the Yeah, Mogwai. people have sworn that to God before in life. Right. So again, <laughs> <The thing. laughs> we'll see, but yeah, we can, we can hope, but who knows? <laughs> No, I do. I also, I have to obligatorily mention, since I, you know, I mentioned the alternatives, the Judd Nelson and Emilio Estevez alternatives for Billy. I have to talk about my family related story about good old Zach Galligan, who again, like, what a wild casting choice. Like nobody fucking knew who Zach Galligan was before this. He'd hardly done anything. He showed up and basically the director was like, "Mm, he looks like he has a big old crush on Phoebe Cates, which he did. So he'll be great for the part, Um, (laughs) which is a wild way to do casting, but it worked out. Um, Like he obviously seems like a nice kid in the movie. And according to very reputable sources, a.k.a. my mom, he's really nice in real life because it's hysterical to me. I've grown up like hearing about gremlins because of 
this one story. I had never watched it until now, so I feel like it's finally a full circle moment for me. But my mom has a story, um, which I have gotten approval to tell. She does not, <laughs> she does not care about her uh, teen indiscretions apparently, because um, she, you know, she was a teenager in New York um, and. You'd love to, you know, get into a good bar where nobody checked your ID, particularly Asian restaurants. So one night, she's probably around 15, maybe 16. I think it's about, it's pretty soon, like within about a year after Gremlins came out. One of her friends calls her up and is like, hey, we're going out for, a, you know, to, to a party, to, to dinner tonight. Do you want to come? She's like, yeah, of course. So she meets her friends at this Japanese restaurant in New York and um, just so happens to be sat next to the one and only Zach Galligan. And everybody knew who he was now because Gremlins was a big fucking deal. Um, she showed up, you know, again, 15 or 16 on an empty stomach at a place where they were clearly not checking IDs for serving alcohol, and everybody at the table was getting kamikazes. So... <laughs> so my sweet, petite little mother was like, oh my god, I'm sitting here sharing a kamikaze with Zach Galligan, and this tastes like fucking candy. So she is downing that sucker inevitably things do not go well <laughs> you were in gremlins hey have you ever wondered what it'd be like to do the exorcist let's run through right. that skit uh-huh <laughs> so she you know it's it's been a you know a good 40 years so she's a uh, slightly fuzzy on the on the exact details i've i've heard d varying versions of it but the basic version of this is that as far as i can tell she puked on Zach Galligan. <laughs> she just straight up threw up on Zach Galligan, who with just the most utter kindness, carefully scooped my mother up and ushered her to a bathroom while she apologized profusely and he assured her that it was all fine. He made sure she was okay. He, like, really looked out for her throughout You're a true this, gentleman, despite Zach. the fact that she had just vomited on star of the movie Gremlins, Zach Galligan. So big, big shout out to Zach for being nice to my teen drunkard mother. <laughs> That'd be so awesome if, like, you meet on a plane in first class. It's like, I know you. How do I know you? Oh, I grew up on you once in New York. It's like... Uh. <laughs> really, just Look, a beautiful I mean, moment. George Bush was a grown man when he threw up on the president of Japan or something, or the president of China. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, your mom was young. You know, George, you know, uh, President Bush Sr. was... Uh, it's uh, so like he, yeah, I don't know what age he was, but he must have been in his 50s or 60s when he accidentally threw up on uh, the, uh, the the Japanese prime minister's uh, lap. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All into his lap. Like, just. Oh, just, no. He, you know, and then he fainted. So, oh, my God. Yeah, Jesus. Wow. The things I missed in the early 90s. <laughs> yeah. You didn't miss that much. <laughs> yeah. It's. Yeah, it's a lot of SSDD. Well, yeah, so if you like these movies, uh, for Gremlins, I can definitely say follow that with Gremlins, too. If you like Rare Exports, um, there is a director named Michael Doherty, for those of you who don't know, uh, who directed a fantastic anthology series uh, called Trick or Treat, which is one film. 
And he also did a film after that called Krampus, which is also very good. Uh, it's not as good as Trick or Treat, but still for fan, for a Christmas film, Christmas horror, it's quite good. Um, yeah, I think that those are good pairings. Um, I mean, the other thing with Gremlins is that it can also film. I mean, the, the weird thing about Gremlins is that it feels so Steven Spielberg to me mm-hmm. that it mixes with almost every other Steven Spielberg film. Like it goes right next to like any Indiana Jones film, uh-huh. Poltergeist. And it's like, those are different directors. It's like, it doesn't matter. It still feels like Steven. So, yeah. You can't lose the Spielberg touch. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's in there. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, no worries. Um, so I have two two chunks of little research that I did. One was just... I wanted to mention the World War II link to the origin of the concept of gremlins because I had no fucking idea about this. I had always just kind of assumed that gremlins were the same thing as like a goblin and were some kind of little fantasy nope. creature. I had no idea this was a wartime creation. Big news to me. This, this may just be a sign of my youth, but... <laughs> yes, it's a World um, War II creation. Yeah, so the idea of a gremlin appeared um, during World War II, where British pilots claimed that malfunctions in their planes were due to little creatures, gremlins, who would sabotage them. And there were apparently a bunch of pilots who claimed to actually see the gremlins, which has mm-hmm. since generally been attributed to intense trauma, which is fair. Um, mm-hmm. And lack of, and at lack of oxygen. Uh, yeah. has also been another one. Yes, yes. And when you run out of oxygen, believe me, you do start to see some shit. So mm-hmm. it's possible. Yeah, the other jaw-dropping thing for me was that there's an entire series of safety produ- uh, safety posters produced during World War II yeah. warning about the dangers of gremlins, including the notable line, Gremlins love to pitch things in your eyes. Wear safety goggles! Which I have seen before, and I thought these were satire. I thought they were spoofs because I hadn't, <laughs> I could not conceive that these would be real government-produced safety advertisements. Yep. <laughs> this was shocking. It's almost like the Trump administration made them up. But yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely off the wall. I like Fighting I've seen that poster enemy. and been like, how goofy, and I could, no idea this was real. So. <laughs> And then, so then there's the part of this history is that all of these stories of gremlins were popularized in Roald Dahl's book, The Gremlins, and his subsequent and incredibly unpopular novel for adults, Sometime Never, um, both of which he wrote after his own experiences in the Air Force. Now, Roald Dahl's Gremlins was supposed to become a Disney movie, but was scrapped after, after difficulties getting the rights from that they needed from the Royal Air Force. Um... And it's after all of that that the word gremlins fully joined the popular lexicon and eventually became the Mogwai we know and loved. Now, another note here, because I mentioned the Tribble parallels to the Mogwai in the uh, in the watch-along, but what I didn't know at the time is that William Shatner was in a 1963 episode of The Twilight Zone called Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, in which he is a passenger on an airplane who tries to fight off a gremlin who tries to damage the plane when no one aboard will believe what he saw. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed the December episode and we enjoyed, you know, our first year of content for you guys. Thanks for being along for the ride and, uh, you know, whatever you're celebrating, have a wonderful December holiday season, whatever it may be, and get some rest and we'll come out of this on on the other side. Be back in January to see you all again with new movies, new new things to watch, new distractions and a little fun. Yeah. So take care. Uh, Up next is the horror news. And in the meantime, stay safe.
Bye. Bye. <laughs>
Find more information at flametreepublishing.com backslash submissions.html. Please note that even though The Late Night does its best to bring horror authors the most up-to-date information for publication venues, we cannot guarantee that all the aforementioned information will remain valid. All submissions should be considered tentative and subject to change. If you're a magazine or press that's interested in having your submissions advertised on The Late Night, you can write to monerlawrence at hotmail.com. That's M-O-A-N-E-R Lawrence at Hotmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. As the days get shorter and shorter, remember to practice self-care, get sunshine when you can, and lock all your doors and windows at night. You never know who or what is out there in the dark until it's too late. The Late Night, a horror podcast, is brought to you by Moner T. Lawrence. Find us at moneria.com and The Late Night Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.